What does the Bible really say about sex? Are women responsible for the sexual integrity of men? What's the difference between sexual purity and sexual integrity? Was Jesus a feminist? Is there a difference between sexual desire and desire for sex? How do I embrace my sexuality? What if I never meet someone? What if I end up all alone? My book, Sexless in the City, was a fork in the road moment in my life. I was tired of not having sex. I was tired of feeling shame from purity and evangelical Christian culture. I felt like a victim to Christianity. I had no idea why I wasn't having sex outside of I thought somewhere the Bible may have told me so, but it really was no longer compelling enough to keep my pants on, if I'm being real. I needed to figure out what I believed about God, sex, intimacy, gender roles, and really everything in between and why. Sexless in the City is that journey. So whether you're single, dating, married, a parent, I believe that this book can encourage, equip, and support you. So check out Sexless in the City anywhere that you buy books from Amazon to Kindle, Books a Million, Barnes and Noble. I would be so honored to have you on this journey with me. Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris, and I'm just so glad you're here. This podcast is designed to dig below the surface. We're going to talk about everything from life to love and pretty much everything in between. So go ahead and leave that Superman cape of having it all together at the door because life is freaking messy. Don't I know it. Now, not only are we going to be real, we're going to have some fun too, because Lord knows I will find any excuse to bring up Beyonce or the latest episode of The Bachelorette. So if you're a new friend, welcome. Make sure you're subscribed to the Refined Collective podcast on iTunes. And if you're an old friend, welcome back. And would you do me a quick favor? Hop on over to iTunes, leave us a five-star rating and written review. I would be so grateful. Finally, if something stands out to you in this episode, go on and slide into my DMs on Instagram. I love hearing from you. It's at The Refined Woman. Now let's go ahead and get to it. Welcome to The Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris, and I just want to give a special shout out. Today, I am back in Newsstand Studio here in New York City recording another episode of the podcast, and I just want to give a shout out to Newsstand Studio Thank you for having me. Thank you for being such a faithful sponsor to TRC and the vision I have here. All right, let's get on to today's episode. Now, I want to give a language and sensitive topic warning. Now, if you clicked on this episode, you know that this episode is about sex. And I'm so excited to be talking about sex and what the Bible really says about it with you. And I also want to just give you a little nudge if maybe you have little ears listening with you or you're at work listening without headphones, perhaps put some headphones on or listen to it when you have some alone time. So now onto the show. All right, this question, what does the Bible actually say about sex? Is one that's super near and dear to my heart because it's a huge journey that I've been on in the last seven years. It's what sort of birthed my book. Before my book was even a thing, this was a question I had in my own life. I really wanted to know, gosh, outside of what I've heard from Christian culture and from pastors and sound bites on social media, 
does the Bible actually have anything specific and compelling to say about sex? And to be frank, when I started this journey, I really thought that answer was going to be no. And I was unconvinced that there was a compelling narrative in the scriptures about sex, desire, sexuality, all of the things. So over the next few minutes, I'm going to take you on a little journey with me. And I invite you to be open-minded, open-hearted with the process I'm going to take you on. It's not a perfect process. My story isn't uh, thus says the Lord, but it's my story. It's imperfect. It has a lot of fumbles (laughs) and failures, and I don't regret any of them because it's brought me to where I am today, who I am today. So I'm grateful for every step, every misstep across the journey that has led me here. Now, here's real talk. I never questioned whether or not I wanted to wait until marriage to have sex until I moved to New York City. (laughs) And honestly, a huge reason why is because I rarely dated and was rarely in a situation where sex was even an option. I was the girl that was perpetually in the friend zone or (laughs) liking the guy that would come to me and after months of texting or talking on the phone at night, hanging out in this ambiguous friend zone, he'd say, Kat, I want to talk to you. And I think this is it. He's finally gonna declare his love to me. And then he'd say, yo, Kat, I have a thing for your best friend. Can you hook it up? I cannot tell you how many times that happened to me. So I went a large portion of my life without dating. In fact, from mid-college to post-college, I went seven years without going on a single date. So I had this theology, this narrative growing up in Christian culture and from youth group and the church that good Christian boys and girls don't have sex. And I wanted to be good. And I trusted my pastor. So like I said, I didn't question it and it didn't really ever come up because like I said, I didn't really have an active dating life. Seven years without so much of a handhold or a kiss on the cheek. And then in my 20s, I met and fell head over heels for this guy who honestly was super toxic. It was long distance and... Here's the thing. It was toxic. I hadn't dated in a long time. I didn't know I had daddy issues, but we had this insane chemistry. And I kid you not, we would basically just make out on his couch for hours. Like, I mean, hours upon hours upon hours. Like, give me some Vaseline for my face is so chapped because we kissed for so long. (laughs) And honestly, it never even got anything close to sex. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have all this willpower and resolve to abstain. I'm so much better than all my friends who are sleeping around. And maybe I did have some resolve. But years later, I found out that although I thought I was exclusive with this guy, he did not think we were exclusive and was actually sleeping with a lot of other women on the side. So... Was us not having sex because we both had resolve or was it because he knew not to go there with me and then got it elsewhere? Honestly, I I don't really know the answer to that question. 
a few years later, I met and dated a guy in New York City. And let me tell you this much. I wanted to have sex with him. All the resolve I had experienced with this other guy that I had dated long distance, it just was not there. There was no five-hour makeout session for us. And in fact, on our first date, we ended up back at his place and had everything but sex. And in one night, I had done more with this person than any other guy I had ever dated. And the interesting part for me as I kind of reflect back on that is I remember hopping in a taxi cab back to my Brooklyn apartment and I was flying high. Like it was honestly a really magical experience and I didn't feel guilty about it at all. And I think I just always thought if I blazed past my physical boundaries, even though we didn't have sex on night one to do everything but was something that I hadn't done before. I just, I didn't feel guilty. I felt alive and awake and excited. And we started dating from there. And I fell head over heels for this guy. Like when I think back to that relationship, I honestly, the picture that comes to my mind is this scene from Buddy the Elf, where Will Ferrell runs into his dad's office after his date with Zoe de Chanel and throws off his hat and he's like, I'm in love, I'm in love, and I don't care who knows it. Like that was me. I mean, I was like, oh, cool, you got a new house plant. Oh my gosh, let me tell you about this guy I'm dating. Any any way I could shift the conversation to me talking about this guy that I was totally head over heels for, I definitely did. And it was really healing dating this guy. I mean, as opposed to the other Christian guy I had dated before him who was running around on me, this guy honored me. He treated me like a queen. He pursued me. And and we had this also insane physical chemistry. And the longer we were together, the more and more my resolve to abstain weakened. I was crazy about him. And I loved being physically close and intimate with him. It just was such a sweet experience. And so the more we started dating, the more for the life of me, I started to realize I actually have no idea why I am waiting until marriage to have sex outside of, quote unquote, because the Bible tells me so. And when I stopped to think about it, I didn't even know if the Bible did say anything about abstinence. And I'm a Bible major. Like I went to Bible school in college. I have a BS in biblical studies, which side note, I think it's really funny that I have a BS in biblical studies. Like, is it BS that I have a BS in biblical studies? I don't know. I just always thought that was funny. All that to say, I paid thousands and thousands of dollars to study theology and the Bible. And yet I had no idea if the Bible actually said anything about waiting until marriage to have sex. So I'm falling more and more for this guy and I wanted to have sex with him, but I also felt really conflicted. And so we would get in these moments of passion and the heat of the moment. And I'd be like, ah, wait a second. I can't, I don't know. I don't know. Ah, And so as much as I wanted to, at the end of the day, 
something always stopped me from going all the way with him. And we ended up breaking up. And now I've gone through breakup before, but this was next level. I was honestly gutted. And it was also another experience altogether to go from being so close with another human and now a human who knew and experienced my body in more intimate ways than any other human on the planet to just be like, okay, now we don't see each other anymore. Our breakup truly felt like a break. Like there was a breaking in my heart. I was heartbroken and so confused on so many levels. And honestly, it was interesting to really allow myself to sit with the experience that when finally given the chance to not have sex, I truly had very little resolve. And I I saw just how much pride I had and how much I really idolized virginity and staying true to my convictions. And I'm just going to be real. I have judged people left and right who had sex outside of marriage. Like, I wish that isn't what I did. But I even remember being in college and my roommate started sleeping with her boyfriend and I stopped being friends with her. And I don't want to share that with you. Like, that's not something I am proud of. But I feel like I want you to know that I'm committed to being honest with you and sharing like my whole story, even when it makes me look like crap sometimes. So that's up until that point in my breakup, how I held virginity and how I held sex before marriage. I was on a very, very high horse. But then post-breakup, I wasn't so sure. I started asking questions like, what do I actually believe about sex? Is saving sex for marriage still a thing? Or is it some antiquated Christian norm that's no longer relevant? What does the Bible say, if anything, about sex? Is it relevant? Do I care what it has to say? So I, I was honestly at this fork in the road and this is so much of what my book is about. Like my book is this journey. <laughs> so if you want to know the full journey of what I went on during this season, Sexless in the City, shameless plug, grab it, pre-order it. When I was at this fork in the road, I, I was like, okay, I can either just start having sex and be like, whatever, this is what I'm going to do. Or I can pause and really take inventory and figure out what I believe about God and sex and all the things and really kind of question the messages and narratives that I've been given my whole life from pastors, leaders, and all that stuff. And in that, when I started identifying the narratives that I believed, I realized almost all of them had been given to me by men and white men at that who got married in their early 20s. And it's maybe what they were saying was true. I wanted to look at the Bible myself, but I just felt like, you know what? <laughs> I'm in my 30s and I'm really tired of people who got married when they were like 19 or 20 telling me what I can and can't do physically with my body because they actually have no idea <laughs> what, what they're asking people in their 30s to do or 40s or, or even longer than that. So it was time that I made my faith my own. I started 
this little journey, I honestly thought it was going to be, I I honestly thought it was going to be like one day of like a little quiet time, like me hanging out with God. And I researched every single verse in the Bible that talked about sex. I thought, all right, if I want to figure out what the Bible has to say about sex, this feels like a pretty good place to start. So let me do a word search. And what I found is the Bible actually, much to my surprise, had a lot to say. I'm going to start with the New Testament. And this isn't going to be comprehensive, but I'm going to give you kind of like we're in an airplane and we're looking out the window and I'm like, look at that field over there. That's how I'm going to give this overview of what the New Testament says about sex, because we don't have 12 hours (laughs) to unpack everything that is meant in the Greek, and we can't look through all the verses. So bear with me. Now, what I kept finding this phrase repeated over and over and over again, more than 20 times in the New Testament, it is called sexual immorality or fornication. And typically when sexual immorality or fornication, almost always when it is referred to in the New Testament, it's coupled with this word called flee. So flee from sexual immorality and fornication. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm hanging out with my girlfriends, having some cocktails on a Friday night, I'm never saying, oh my gosh, you know what I did last night on that date? I fornicated. (laughs) Like, what does that even mean? It's such an outdated word. And sometimes it makes me really upset whoever translated the Bible, I just think we lose so much in translation. Like what even is sexual immorality? What is fornication? And actually I'm looking at my notes right now and fornication is such an outdated word that whenever I write it in my word doc, it automatically changes it to the word fortification. (laughs) So it's like fornication Microsoft Word doesn't even acknowledge it. It's like, you're trying to spell the word fort, fortification. What does that even mean? So I looked it up. Fornification and sexual immorality are the same Greek word. And that word is porneia. It's where we obviously get the words pornography and porn. Uh, A few references that I'll give you is in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, Paul tells the church to flee from porneia. And to flee from something means to run as fast as you can, (laughs) as though your life were in danger, as opposed to as close to the thing as you want without technically coming in contact with it. And then in 1 Corinthians 7, 1, 2, we see Paul encouraging the church of Corinth to get married in order to avoid the temptation of porneia. So these are some of the main sets of verses that are often used during biblical teaching on abstinence. Still begging the question, what the hell does porneia mean? Now, when I did a deep word study on it, It's really this blanket word that encapsulates a lot of different sexual experiences and primarily sexual experiences where there's some sort of dysfunction or abuse of power. It it refers to things like pedophilia, bestiality, adultery. And in essence, it becomes this bundled term 
for any sexual activity outside of marriage. So the invitation to flee from porneia is really clear. But the term itself, at least for me, can also feel kind of elusive. All right, yeah, run away as far as you can from pedophilia, of course. Bestiality, of course. Adultery, got it. But what does it mean to flee from sexual activity outside of marriage? What does that mean in a culture like today where people are living longer than they ever have before, single longer than they've ever been single before? Like, what does this mean? So I kept digging. I was the kid in high school and college, by the way, who would sit on the front row and be like, um, excuse me, teacher, didn't we have a quiz today? Um, I have another question. So I'm just the obnoxious one that's always asking why, 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 why? So I kept asking why. I was like, you know, this still feels a little elusive. And the more I sat with it, the more I wondered if God wanted it that way. Perhaps God knows that as humans, we're prone to legalism and we're prone to want to follow rules. And so instead of giving us a list of do's and don'ts, God gave us an invitation to flee from something. And I don't think it's because God thinks sex is bad. If there's anything I know about God after all this study, it's that God cares about our hearts, not just behavior modification. So in that, I can trust that if there is an invitation to flee from something, it's not because God hates sex or sexual activity. It's perhaps because God has a more grand vision for whatever the thing is. Ladies, does it ever feel like the shorts you're wearing just weren't made for you? It's time to try Title IX. They've got shorts built to keep up and made to move with you no matter what you might get into. Title IX is gear made by women for women. You know how much I love supporting female-run businesses. Their clamber shorts, which I have in black with the five-inch inseam, are so cute and comfortable. They're great for a workout, hiking, or I just wore them yesterday running around town doing errands. They're made out of a super stretchy, like this abrasion-resistant fabric, so they're basically indestructible. And thanks to a wide, comfy waistband and a lot of pockets, you can wear them all day no matter what you get into. They're basically badass shorts, y'all. Title IX designs and sells performance outdoor gear and apparel for women on the move. Women like you, women like me who are busy chasing waves, chasing deadlines, maybe even chasing toddlers, and always chasing our next adventure. Title IX gear and apparel is built to perform and made to last. From innovative swim pieces to bottoms that actually fit, every product is designed for women seeking out their next adventure. So right now, Title IX is offering our listeners $10 off and free shipping on orders over $100 when you visit title9.com slash refined. Go to title9.com slash refined for $10 off and free shipping on your order over $100. That's T-I-T-L-E-N-I-N-E dot com slash refined. I'll be honest, I'm not the greatest cook in the world. In fact, stepping into the kitchen can feel really overwhelming for me. 
But over the last year, I've really worked on trying different recipes and honing in on a few dishes so that I can feel confident whipping something up either for myself or last minute when friends come over. And a few of those recipes in my back pocket are now good for Tata. Y'all, I can make a good for Tata. Gluten-free banana bread, even a shepherd's pie. I've actually recently been working on a shrimp and brown butter pasta that, mm, let me tell you, is so good. In all my recent cooking experiences, I've realized how important investing into your kitchen tools are. I recently replaced my knife set. And knife set is being generous and describing what I actually had versus what I have now. I tried the brand Made In's Chef Knife Set, and it has changed my cooking experience. Now that I have professional quality knives, it feels like I was just using plastic party knives for all of those years. Maiden's cookware and kitchenware products are used by thousands of the world's best chefs. They source the finest materials and partner with renowned craftsmen to make premium kitchen tools available directly to you without the markup. Oh, yes. (laughs) Maiden products are made to last and they offer a lifetime guarantee. Their cookware distributes heat evenly and can easily go from the stovetop to the oven. And their knives are fully forged, perfectly balanced, and stay sharp. They have 28,000 plus five-star reviews, and their products are used by some of the world's best chefs at Michelin-starred restaurants around the world. Maiden has better cookware for better meals. So right now, Maiden is offering the TRC listeners... 15% off your first order with promo code CAT. That's K-A-T. This is the best discount available anywhere online for Maiden products. So go to madeincookware.com slash CAT, that's K-A-T, and use promo code CAT for 15% off your first order. That's madein, M-A-D-E-I-N, cookware.com slash CAT and use promo code CAT. Finding a bra in general is a struggle fest, but finding a bra that not only fits, but is comfortable and also, you know, a little cute, maybe a little sexy too. I mean, it feels nearly impossible. Can I also tell you that bra shopping is one of my least favorite things to do? I think the only thing I like less than bra shopping is shopping for jeans. (laughs) I recently had not only an enjoyable, but pain-free bra shopping situation with the female-founded and led company, Notori. Honestly, though, bra wearers, we should be buying bras from other women who wear bras, right? Josie Notori started the company from her living room as a young mother. The bra I have from Notori is the Feathers Bra in Black. I mean, a bra named Feather? Yeah, sign me up. It's supportive and so comfy, but also has this beautiful lace detailing that makes it feel feminine and sexy too. Notori is a global lifestyle brand, but still most known for bras and underwear. And their products are made with this super soft fabric that keeps you comfortable and supported. Their products move with you throughout your day, whether you're transitioning from work, play, fitness, or even maternity. They also don't fall apart in the wash and maintain their signature look and feel over the long haul. On top of which, they offer a variety of sizes from size A to G cup. Notori is offering a 15% discount to the TRC community 
with the code REFINED. So go to www.notori.com and apply the code REFINED at checkout for 15% off your purchase. That's N-A-T-O-R-I dot com. And you can also share your Notori experience on social media by using hashtag MyNotori and share why Notori bras make you look and feel your best. Remember, code REFINED. So as I'm researching this and seeing this invitation to flee from sexual immorality, I paused and just reflected on my previous dating relationship and realized what I was really doing was playing a game of mental gymnastics and a game of technicalities. And what I mean by that is I always thought, I don't know where I got this thought, but I always thought, man, if I sleep over at a guy's house, that's a sin. And I should not share a bed with a guy. And I have thoughts about that now, and I can share it in another episode. However, what I would find myself doing with this guy would be staying at his house, but not allowing myself fully to fall asleep and then leaving at five or six in the morning to go back to my house. So technically, I didn't stay the night at his house. And then I also believed that nakedness was a sin. And so if I'm naked with the guy I'm dating, that's a sin. But if my underwear stays around my ankle, I'm not necessarily naked. So I'm all good, right? And if the P doesn't technically enter the V, then I'm still a virgin, right? I found myself kind of constantly playing this mental game of gymnastics to avoid feeling shame and to sort of justify what I did or didn't want to do. And, you know, what I want for you, what I want for me is to be able to look at our desire, look at my desire and say, all right, let me allow myself the permission to say, I would like to stay the night at my boyfriend's house tonight. Instead of saying I shouldn't, So I'm judging the desire and then I ignore my heart and what I really want. And then I don't make a game plan that sets me up for success as opposed to saying, you know what? I really do want to stay the night at my boyfriend's house. Now, do I want to or not? And why do I want to or why do I not want to? And to make a decision that is not rooted in should or external expectation, or shame, but one that is connected to abundance, wholeness, and freedom. Because here's what I know about God, is 2 Timothy 1.7 says that God did not give me a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. So if I choose to not stay over at my boyfriend's house, I want that to be a decision that is internally motivated that is free from shame that I feel really good about. And here's the reality. And I know I'm going on another tangent right now and it's not in my notes, but let's say that you are a Christian and you do want to wait until marriage to have sex. Okay, let's honor that. I'm waiting until marriage to have sex. And there might be people who feel very, very comfortable having sleepovers with their significant others. Great, good for them. 
there might be another person who is like, you know what? That's not going to work for me. I don't want to do that because when I do that, it keeps me out of alignment with my physical boundaries. Great. Do that. You have the space for that. And I think this so much of this conversation, I think why it can feel really scary and hard to talk about and why we do preach such black and white rules from the pulpit or the stage is it's a lot harder to preach nuance. It's a lot harder to say, you know what? Here's what the scripture says. And you get to seek God and wisdom with trusted community and decide how you want to move forward. And it might not look the same for everyone. And that can feel scary because when everyone is not doing the exact same thing, we can't control everyone. I just think God might have a bigger vision for us than a set of rules and do's and don'ts. All right. Back to the conversation about what does the Bible actually say about sex and the New Testament phrase to flee from porneia. So it's like a clear invitation, but it also can feel a little elusive. So the next question I asked myself is, what exactly is sex? And I want to ask you, how would you define sex? And why would you define it that way? Where did you come up with said definition I honestly never questioned what sex was until I started writing my chapter on sex in my book. And in my research, I stumbled across a woman named Peggy Orenstein. You've probably heard me talk about her before. If you follow me on Instagram, I'm always promoting her stuff. She's actually a New York Times writer and journalist. And one of her life's work for the last 15, 20 years has been traveling all over the U.S., interviewing teenagers to college age to 20-somethings, girls and boys, about their sexual encounters, sexual experiences, conversations around sex, consent, all the things. And she has two books that have been more monumental in the study for my book called Girls and Sex, and the other one is Boys and Sex. Now, in the book Girls and Sex, she talks about this guy, Daniel Fortenberry, who is a leading voice on adolescent sexuality. And he proposes that sex is more of a pool of experiences, quote unquote. And in response to that, Peggy writes, I'd rather young people think of sex more horizontally as a way to explore intimacy and pleasure than a misguided vertical race to a goal. So I'm gonna repeat that. Orenstein says, I'd rather young people think of sex more horizontally as a way to explore intimacy and pleasure than a misguided vertical race to a goal. Something about that struck me, but I didn't really know what to do with it. And then I remembered years ago when one of my best friends and her husband got back from their honeymoon, they waited until marriage to have sex. And I asked them, how was it? How was sex on the honeymoon? And they both said, you know what? we kind of realized it's all sex, like all of it. If anything, we wish we would have done less in dating. And I was like, okay, bye. Like, I don't want to hear that. I'm single. I don't want to think that everything is sex. So thank you for sharing your experience. Talk to you later. And then years later, a close friend of mine who was gay came home from a date and told me they had sex. And I asked them, what did you do? (laughs) Because 
yeah, I am that friend. (laughs) What did you do? What does sex mean for you? And they said, you know, we made out and touched each other and fooled around. And I was like, wait, that's what sex is? (laughs) Kissing and touching each other? And when I kind of looked back at that conversation with that friend, my couple friend that got back from the honeymoon, and then with this passage from Girls and Sex, I realized I'd never really considered what sex was. And I don't even know why. Honestly, don't know where I got this from. But I always assumed sex was a penis inside a vagina. So vaginal intercourse. But all these different conversations made me wonder, is sex one act? Or is it possible that it could be a pool of experiences? And when we make it about one thing, do we do what Orenstein says and uh, create a misguided vertical race to a goal and flatten the robust experience of what intimacy and pleasure can be? And what if you identify as LGBTQ+, are the only people who can lose their virginity those who experience heterosexual attraction? What if you're in a relationship and your partner is impotent? Are you unable to have a fulfilling sex life? What if you're one of the 75% of females who only experience climax and orgasm through external stimulation? Can you not have pleasurable sex? You see, part of me didn't really want to answer these questions because I realized if I answered them, I might not be a virgin anymore. And somewhere along the way, as I processed and reflected this stuff, I realized my virginity became enmeshed with my relationship with Jesus. You see, I think it was a sub-message, and I don't know if it was ever said out loud, but the message I internalized from Christian culture was that salvation is Jesus plus virginity plus good works, plus the approval of others. And I idolized it. I idolized my virginity. I felt pride for holding my values when it seemed like no one else around me did. And you know what? That's gross. And it's also not the message of Jesus. (laughs) In the New Testament, when we see Jesus on the cross dying, the thief next to Jesus cries out to Jesus and Jesus says, today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus doesn't say, but um, what have you been doing between your legs, bro? Have you been sleeping around? Have you been fooling around? What have you been doing? No. Jesus alone. Grace alone. You see, salvation is not whether or not you're a virgin. It's all about the love of God. So as I kind of bring this episode to a close, what I want to share is through reading all about, you know, New Testament 20 plus times where it says over and over again to flee from sexual immorality. What really started to ring true to me is that sex could actually be a pool of experiences. So, and I still wasn't sure I wanted to abstain from it. I still had some more work to do. I needed to define what sex meant for me. I did that. And I'm actually not going to share with you in this episode how I define sex because 
It's in my book and I don't want to give everything away. So if you want to read that, check out my book, Sexless in the City, you can pre-order it. And then there's, I don't want to call them rules, but a constant invitation to flee from sexual morality, flee from pornea. And if what I believe about God is true, it's like I said earlier that God cares about our heart not behavior modification. So I had to find out if there is this invitation, what's the heart here? What's the why? God is the why. Simon Sinek in his famous TED Talk says, a lot of people know what they do. Some people know how to do it. Very few people know why they do it. So if the invitation is to flee from this, I needed to know why. So I made my way to the Old Testament. Next time, I'll unpack for you what I found in the Old Testament about God and sex. But for now, here's what I want you to sit with. Have you felt as a person of faith that your virginity is tied to your standing with God? How would you define sex? Why would you define it that way? Where did you come up with that definition? What stood out to you today? What are your thoughts about this idea that sex could perhaps be a pool of experiences versus a vertical race to a misguided goal, as Orenstein proposes in her book, Girls and Sex? And sit with this, process it, journal about it, talk with your friends, join us over on Instagram, The Refined Woman, and let's have some real talk about this. Now, one more thing before we head off today. I mean, I know I threw a lot out there for you and I probably gave you a lot more questions than answers. And I wish I could say I was sorry about that, but I'm actually not. I think as Madeline Engel says, life is a lot less about the answers and more about asking the right questions. So I'm empowering you to think deeply, think critically, seek God, invite community into that. And I also want to invite you to join my Patreon community. My Patreon community is a special exclusive community that actually helps fund the Refined Collective. It helps keep our lights on. It helps me pay my team. And you can go to patreon.com slash the Refined Collective to learn more. And I actually do exclusive videos each week just for the Patreon community. It's sort of the place where I peel back the curtain on my day-to-day life and invite you into my life. I.e. a lot of the videos are me without makeup, (laughs) with bad lighting. So I do home tour videos because I just moved recently. I did a recent video talking about the doubts in my faith and what embracing doubt in my faith has looked like. I have a recent video talking about my current dating life, what that actually looks like in a pandemic. And I also did another one recently called, should I look for a spiritual leader, quote unquote, in a person I want to date? So go to patreon.com slash the refined collective. You can join for as little as $5 a week. All right. Talk to you soon.